if you are listening to this via podcast, not visually, we're going to pass some waterfalls, some river sounds, some waves and things like that. So be kind to our audio technicians and, and show producers here. We're breaking down RevOps with some of the biggest names in SaaS. Every week, Patrick Campbell and Michael Klett unravel the mysteries of RevOps. I spend all my time thinking about revenue operations. While also enjoying some of the best and freshest hops around. Cheers to RevOps. In today's episode, we're talking about how to measure the success of RevOps with Armando Biondi, the founder of Adspresso and Mela. This is RevOps and Hops. Welcome to another episode of RevOps and Hops. I'm Patrick Campbell here with Michael Klett and Armando. I'm happy to be here and thank you for inviting me, guys, by the way. Absolutely. Uh, It's a pleasure. So one of the things we're going to be talking about in this episode is how to measure the effectiveness of your RevOps strategy. Mm -hmm. There you go. Right. So that made me think of how do you measure beer? Yeah. Uh, And there's three things you can measure. You can measure the color, how light or dark it is. And if you look at this one, unfortunately, we have opaque glasses, That's but right. you guys can probably tell everybody at home, this is a, uh, a very dark beer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this would be high in its SRM value. Is that like a spectrometer type thing where they, 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 how, they shoot, measure the light going through they, it? They shoot light through it, exactly. Nice. A certain wow. wavelength Remember and how much biology emits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. The other thing you can measure is the bitterness. Okay. Um, so what makes a beer bitter, Patrick, since you know so much now? Hops. Yes. Right? The longer they stay in, so the earlier you add them, right. the more bitterness. Got the it, IBUs, the got International it. Bittering Unit, would be lower on that beer that feels the longer up. you put hops in okay. at the very beginning. So the bitter units, how do, how do you even measure that? Um, two ways. You can measure it in the lab. At home, as a home brewer, I can't measure it like that. So yeah. you estimate it based on the type and amount of hops that you add to the beer okay. um, and when you add them. You really That's are right. a, like a beer connoisseur. So the third thing you can measure in beer is the amount of alcohol that's in it. So yeah. the ABV, alcohol by volume. Got mm-hmm. it. So again, you can measure that in the lab. And at home, I don't have that lab. So okay. I estimate it by measuring the specific gravity of the beer before yeah. fermentation and after fermentation. Got that it. tells you how much sugar is in it. Yep. And so by knowing how much sugar has been consumed by the yeast and turned into alcohol, Got you it. can right. plug in a formula and find out what is now the alcohol content Because alcohol, of this beer. as my childish ways will tell you, <laughs> it's yeast poop. This is North Coast, uh, a Russian imperial stout. Okay. Called the old Rasputin. I've heard this of this is, one. I feel yeah, one of the reasons. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a classic beer. It's been around for a long time. One of the reasons I picked it is that it is high in alcohol content. It's nine percent. There's no coffee put into this beer. Sure, they get those flavors. It's purely out of these dark roasted malt. In- Russian Imperial Stout. Russian Imperial Stout. A lot of words there. What's the difference between that and like a milk stout or like just a stout? So it is a stout. Yeah. Uh, the fact that it's imperial means it's higher in alcohol. Got it. Mm-hmm. So you can have not just imperial stouts, but you can have imperial IPAs. You can have imperial anything. Is there a certain region that you grow most of your hops? Or is it as, as variable as like you could have a winery in Wisconsin, Oregon, France, something um, like that? Yeah, you can grow hops just about anywhere, but your results will be poor. In most places. Okay. Um, Pacific Northwest of the U.S. is Got the it. prime growing region. Yeah. And then uh, Bavaria region of, of Europe, okay. like between Germany and, yeah. and Czechoslovakia and those areas also grow. Some really That's wild. Hops. Yeah. Yeah. Um, three different ways. Very scientific. That's right. Uh, how do we measure growth, Armando? I started my career in technology as a founder uh, and an entrepreneur, uh, mostly from a COO background and perspective. Um, latest, most successful venture, Adespresso, Facebook advertising optimization for small and medium businesses, small and medium enterprises, um, started in 2013, sold it to Hootsuite in 2016. In that period of time, we grew it from zero to 50 people, 300 plus million dollars in Facebook advertising budget, optimized, becoming one of the top partners for Facebook. Yeah. And 
kind of the it's all because one. of you number one yeah Armando. Uh, not only it's a team effort <laughs> yeah, you know you, that in june left uh and joined mailup uh, which is yeah. you know this company i've been on the board of for the past two years and a half which is kind of the european twilio uh so a company doing about 60 millions in revenue this year nice. 250 people publicly trade on the italian market yeah uh and you know being a chief growth officer for them that's cool mm-hmm. and you said it's kind of like the european what like what's the european twilio um, oh so, twilio yeah, Got it. yeah messaging yeah, yeah. plus that's cool uh, emails yeah. that's great you know when you think about growth at the end of the day uh, there is an outcome to it, which is revenue growth. And, you know, really everything has to come down to that. Mm. The key piece is that, you know, growth means different things depending on the stage that you are at as a company. You know, growth has a gravity to it. Yeah. So it tends to slow down over time yeah. because as absolute numbers grow, the relative percentages yeah. diminish over time. And that is natural. It happens for every company at every stage, regardless of where they are. Mm. What happens is that what you have been doing, you know, you, you find a way, a path forward, like a go-to-market uh, strategy that, you know, uh, paired with a product that has a good product market fit and operational infrastructure there that can make that work. And that structure holds for a while yeah. and kind of bridges you to, you know, the next milestone mm. that you are aiming for. But then what, what happens is that the structure that you put in place starts to break up mm. and the things that have been working for a while, and you know this, you're, you know, yeah. you, you grew your company up to a certain point as well. Yeah. Those things start to not only not work anymore, but actually work against you. And so pretty much you have to go to start all over again. Yeah. Right? And so redefine, you know, what you're aiming for, what you're optimizing for as a company, as an organization, and kind of rebuilding that, looking at the next yeah. milestone of growth and again and again and again. Yeah. That is true whether you are at, you know, one million looking to go to five, whether you're at five looking to go at ten or fifteen. Yeah. If you're fifteen looking to go for, you know, forty five, fifty, you know, every company is about yeah. what you're doing to get there. Yeah. that next stage if that makes sense if any like predict or see that it's going to break and know when it's going to break because it's not as simple as well at 10 million everything breaks at 25 million everything breaks like it's, it's got to be different for different businesses the thing is that you know it's going to break the okay. question is when so just so know it's going to break there are two yeah. questions right so you know it's going to break there are two questions one is how long is going to last yeah and the second question is, which is this concept which I, I like to use, which I don't find very often, actually ever online, but to me is very much a representation of what we are talking about when, you talk, when we talk about growth, which is the idea of the fact that you can engineer you know, a product, you can engineer a system, you can also engineer growth as a, as a trajectory, sure. right? So mm-hmm. you knowing that something is going to break at some point puts you in a position that you can start working for the future, Uh, for the next phase so that when you start seeing that growth trajectory starting to slow down, you have like an arsenal of things that you validated in the past recently Mm. that you can you can start putting in execution uh, to sustain that growth trajectory and actually tilt it toward a more aggressive, you know, growth trajectory even. Mm. Uh, And if you think about it, this is if you look at the trajectories of, you know, the, the best most successful companies, best in class when it comes to a lot of the, you know, big, you know, IPO public companies, you know, a a Facebook, um, a Google, even like a a HubSpot, a Slack, uh, a Uber, you find and look look at the growth trajectory over time, there are inflection points. 
So it's not always like this, you know, linear progression. There are times when, you know, the, the, the trajectory changes and becomes, you know, a steeper one. Yeah. That is, you know, when those type of things happen. And so the more you can foresee this and yeah. work toward this and prepare for this, the better it's going to be. Because at the end of the day, you know, growth is a function of traction, right? So it's a function of how much progress did you generate per unit of time. And so really, you know, you need to pay attention to the progress. The, the time element is also critical. Should you be going as fast as possible? Should you be going as efficiently as possible? Like, how do you optimize that? So this is another interesting thing because, you know, particularly these days, a lot of, there's a lot of debate around, hey, VCs, money, like going as fast Terrible as possible. Yeah, like yeah. people hate it or love it. You know, you find yeah. all this very polarized, you know, yeah. part of the conversation. The reality is that first time founders tend to raise as much as possible. Yeah. Second time founders, repeat founders tend to raise as little as possible, as late as possible. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that capital is ne necessarily bad. It yeah. means that, you know, it's kind of an element, like a, mm -hmm. a tool that you have at your disposal yeah, exactly. to, to run a company. It's not about going as fast as possible or efficiently as possible. Like you position that as that is kind of, you can decide one only, mm -hmm. but the reality is that you can do both. Sure. You can grow fast and you can do, go profitably and yeah. you can go very fast and very profitably as well. Mm -hmm. Or the reality is that the vast majority of the companies that are created every year are not cash flow intensive. Yeah, like maybe 5% yeah. of them are, maybe 3% mm. of them are, which is why, you know, the VC world is a great fit for those type of companies, sure. but not necessarily so if you're not a cash flow intensive type of company. Yeah. In that case, you should kind of be careful with the route about raising sure. too much money because it can actually hurt you more than yeah. it can help you. Like if we if we have a flat year, if we mm -hmm. have a flat like time in our history and you're at a certain size, when it's like 10 people, like it's just kind of par for the course because right. you're trying to get that escape velocity. But if all of a sudden you're not optimizing or communicating that growth, that momentum, do you start to lose like team basically? The reality is that more often than not, not that the founders talk about this, mm. but almost every company will go through those phases, right? Mm. Growth and then not so aggressive growth. Mm. Maybe, you know, some years you, you're not doing so great. Sure. Uh, and that is okay. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the companies, the vast majority of the companies, when they're growing fast, will start hiring aggressively because they raise capital. Yeah. And then one of the things that they don't talk about too much or that you don't hear too often is that, you know, about layoffs. Mm. The reality is that, statistically speaking, the vast majority of the companies will go through some version of yeah. that. Which is a horrible experience. It's sure. super painful, particularly as a founder. Yeah. It's really the last thing that you want to do and you will hate every moment of it. But it's part of the life cycle yeah. of a company. Part of growth, right? There's, there's yeah. Pain, there's always pain in growth no matter yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah. What do you, what's your take like with, with your background in charge fine even before then? Yeah, well, when you hit those flat sections, um, I think it's it's a question of do we know why, right? Because yeah. if you don't have a clue, then it can weigh on That's the team, right? Bad. Everybody, yeah, everybody yeah. is yeah. scared. But if you, can, if you know why and you can point to why, like the team has confidence. And yeah. now you know what the, the levers are you need to pull to get back to where you were. Yeah, That's and also what you're yeah. doing to change that. Right? Yeah. Do you have a plan to get out of that situation right. that you are in and, and what, what's going to move the needle? Right. Yeah. But the one thing I kind of think about is when you're tracking, when you're like structuring things, like where do you start? It's another interesting trend that, that you see uh, in our space, yeah. right? You know, before we used to think about companies are, as like silos of yeah. like different functions and departments that need to perform like independent, almost independently 
sure. from each other to get to a common shared outcome. I feel it's changing. Sure. I don't know if that's kind of your perspective as well. When you see, you know, this, you know, growth revenue officer type of roles, yeah. they really work at it's like C-level titles working at the intersection of what like a few years ago would have been like very differentiated mm. type of department. For myself, I'm very much at the intersection between product marketing, business at corp dev, operations and growth. Mm. Uh, I would argue that maybe for a chief revenue officer, you know, instead of, you know, being product marketing, it's sales. Yeah. But it's not mm. significantly different. And so yeah. the way, because it's such a cross-functional role mm. at the intersection of many things. We find that a lot too with like profitable metrics. Like the vision is like end to end, like yeah. turnkey as turnkey as possible. But so we're starting with like very, the, the, the highest of level metrics dipping down very specifically into certain places for right. like breakdowns. But like even just looking at like channel to LTV, like right. it's really, really powerful yeah. because there's so many, at least what we find just anecdotally, especially on the price intelligence side when we work with mm -hmm. different companies, is that all of a sudden there's so many companies where everyone's like high on their own supply. They're like, yeah. oh, I created all these leads. And you're like, yeah, those convert terribly. Or yeah, those are like worst like, LTV yeah. and just kind of fascinating. Yeah. Like a big part of you know how you think about the full funnel is how you set up the data infrastructure so yeah. that you can actually make yeah. good decision looking at data totally. that is relevant. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you find over and over again is like people making bad decisions on bad data. Mm. And they don't even know that yeah. because they think they're looking at the right number and then you you go down a couple levels and the number is, the math is wrong. Sure. So the outcome is the same, right? You keep looking at revenue growth. At the end of everything, the only thing that matters is whether or not you're growing as a business, mm -hmm. right? So that stays the same along the way. The, the way you get there and the relevance of the underlying metrics is very different over time, mm -hmm. right? For example, at the very, very beginning, you would look, if you are like a pre-revenue startup, mm -hmm. you shouldn't look to optimize for revenue too much. You mm -hmm. should look for mm -hmm. engagement right. metrics and NPS type of and qualitative feedback type of things. Right. And then as you start generating revenue, you should optimize for those, you know, repeat, customers and or you know how you think about retention and uh, uh, both you know short term as well as medium and, and long term mm -hmm. and how you get more customers like those ones mm -hmm. so you know your definition of ideal customer profile and how you get more of them and you double down on that for probably until you get to couple million dollars in in revenue and then you start to become more sophisticated around acquisition metrics mm -hmm. And you start to look at CAC and LTV, those kind of things, and also for more efficiency across the board. Mm -hmm. uh, and that evolves over time, you know, multiple times again. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, it, I mean, like, so I don't spend a ton of time in our, like, uh, sales and marketing metrics, but it has an analogy to my world in tech. Because, yeah. you know, what we're measuring, uh, let's say, like, the performance of a, a given, like, endpoint or a, a given feature based on, like, the load that's coming in. What might be fine on day one hmm. might not be fine, you know. Later, we might find that we're measuring the wrong thing, right. and then performance is tanked, and we yeah. need to need to to relook at it. I'm more interested in like the correlative metrics, right? Right. So, for example, like I presume for you guys, and we brought this up in another episode, mm -hmm. like something around uptime or processing or something. Mm -hmm. 
I'm sure correlates on some level with retention, right? Oh yeah. You know, and, and it's one of those things that like like we found accuracy bugs that right. correlated with engagement with our free product. You know, our purest metric with uh retain our, our recovery product basically is like how much money we recover, right? right. And mm-hmm. that helped us when we started to look at like what is that main outcome metric? And then what are the things that basically correlate most with that? Yeah. That helped us like at least crystallize things. Cause there's some of these things that like, frankly, like over 10 million and we're still not like, I couldn't tell you, like we take snapshots of our CAC, mm-hmm. but we are not consistently looking at our CAC. Right. Um, and because it's not the most correlative thing. And so yeah. like, if it becomes a problem, we'll look at it. But we look at like what those correlated metrics are just because there's not enough time, there's not enough resources for yeah. us to like look at everything consistently. Also, it's always a prioritization uh, effort. Always, yeah. Right? It's, you always are constrained in terms of, you know, capital available, resources available, and totally. time available. Well, eventually, as we can, as we so, just ramped up more demand gen this year, right. all of a sudden, like CAC channel consistently looking at is going to become a priority, right, which I right, think is something... Right. It's kind of fascinating. When you have capital available and you can spend, you still want to spend in a way that makes sense. Totally. And so you start optimizing for those things. Yeah. And, you know, going back to your example, if I think about engineering, you know, from from my perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, into your department, it's like different phases, different priorities. You know, when you're early stage, it's build, build, build. Right. And then it's like maintain, reliability, and then how do you innovate and how do you balance out those, you know, what you have versus what you want mm-hmm. and, you know, all those trade-offs. The really game-changing category-defining companies are like one in a decade. Yeah. Like the Uber, the Facebook, the Amazon, So the do Google. you look at that and go, cool, I'm not going to be that company therefore i shouldn't act one company in how many companies in a decade like twenty five thousand, two hundred and fifty thousand that are created so it's like crazy you're not going to be one of them so yeah you can you can invent something new like a new england ipa yeah but you're standing on the shoulders of like people i think this all comes back to like the classic building advice in the world of SaaS, which is well in entrepreneurship in general which is everything's like balance right Mm -hmm. like i think that as an entrepreneur, you have to sit on the precipice between thinking unconventionally and controlling those like emotions in some way to then implement the things that you need to have conventionally. Yeah. You, you just need to constantly like be choosing your, basically picking your spots, right? Yeah, picking your fights. You yeah. like being special in every way is like too much work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing about technology is that not only it gets you that ability to continue grow, continue learning sure. because it's such a fast moving type of industry, but the upside is there as well, right? Ah, so you can participate it. in that. You can do something meaningful. You can have a global impact. Yeah. And you can capture, you know, upside for that, which is kind of what makes this industry special yeah. uh, to some degree. Yeah. What is your, like, next thing after technology? I don't know. Ten years from now. Nothing. I want to start Patrick. a school at some point. Okay. You know, basically, I want to start, like, a, you know, for at-risk youth kind of a thing. Nice. Which is kind of like the Good standard tech, like, want to go help with education. Well, you do want to pay thing. forward a little bit, right? Yeah, when you have success, so. yeah. uh, you want to help others get to the same level of success. Totally, and, totally. You know? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's, like, giving back on some level. Yeah. Like trying to do as much as you can now, but obviously, there's a lot of work going on. So, yeah. like volunteering and stuff is a little bit tough. But mm-hmm. how about you? What's What do you want to do after tech? I know you're doing some more tech now. I would be in tech, I think, for... Probably the next 15 to 20 years. Okay. And then I will be like 60 plus something. Yeah. So maybe I will retire. I don't know. Go back yeah. to Italy. Enjoy good food. The one thing uh, I want to do after Propawell, I've always said, I don't know if I'll actually do this, like win, lose, or draw with Propawell, I kind of want to go be a flight attendant for six months. Okay. 
Um, Why? I tra- well, so I travel so much, and I hate lines, and I was like, I want to solve the line problem. Okay. But then it kind of evolved into, like, it would just be fascinating, like, like just human nature, I feel. Yeah. And when you work in tech, it's like, you kind of get away from that a little bit. True. Depending on the tech you're building. And right, stuff like right, that. right, so, right, right. But yeah. if I was not allowed to be in tech, um, probably would not open a brewery, not like a yeah. conventional brewery. I'd probably have some kind of a farm. Um, where I cool. grow ingredients necessary for beers, have a small brewing operation, have like a restaurant, like huh. very like so you'd local be like the farm Michelin to table. Star guy, um, that's where you go for. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not not even big. Like yeah, even if it was just say no for, to that. Yeah, very few people to enjoy, right? Yeah. But like a very um, good quality, not high price, but just like an experience. Like go and that's have cool. like some local, very local food and drink kind of thing. That's cool. We'll check back in See 15 you in, years. Yeah, I was just about to say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll check back. See you in 20 years. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming. This was awesome. Right. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Great. Thank you guys. Cheers. Cheers. What'd you learn from Armando? Uh, That I want to go to Italy and check out the coffee scene. The coffee scene. Yeah. Yeah. Just go to your local Starbucks. They (laughs) ripped it off apparently. So Armando's going to kill me for that comment. That's all right. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But it's a good combo. It's a really good combo. Yeah. 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 I took away. just the fact that you don't have to necessarily reinvent things. Yeah. Right? I mean, you don't have to come up with like silly titles. Like the the functions are there. Like yeah. history has shown us what the different functions are, especially with the rise of RevOps. Really, sure. as we said, being a framework on top of what are already kind of what best already practices. Exists. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like it's, it's one of those things, though. You still have to. It's such like a mind, you know, twist because you still have to be very like focused on trying to think about where to innovate and where to mm. be unconventional. Oh yeah. Obviously your product is, is probably the most obvious place, but yeah. maybe not your tech stack. And like it's just a lot of things to kind of think about. I also really yeah. liked how, you know, just the the recognition that everything's going to change and break at different stages. And so right. your stage might be eight million, not ten million, or twelve million, not ten million, but like it's gonna break somewhere around that particular point as you get more people, more tools and these types of things. And the KPIs that you need to care about are going to change as well. And yeah, so that was to adapt. that was a really, really big thing for me too, because it's almost like it's okay not to be perfect. It's okay to not reinvent the wheel. It was more mm-hmm. just like a nice little therapy session around just kind of sticking to the, to yeah. the centers of things, which is yeah. good. It will break. Yeah. Don't keep doing the same things and complain about it. Yeah. Adapt to it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, that's all for this week on RevOps and Hops. If you got value from this, got something that is going to help your business, make sure you share it with a friend or a colleague. And as always, make sure you're subscribed via email or via your podcasting app of choice. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.